The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 5, 14 through 16. The word of God speaks to us. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word to us. Hey, good morning, church. Wow. So uh, life is not a competition, uh, but if it were a competition, the, the energy that you just gave me doubled the energy that I got from the nine. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. But I, I still think we can do that again. Good morning, church. See, there it is. There it is. Thank you. It's great to have you with us. Uh, you might notice we have some elementary kids with us today. Um, uh, today's Family Sunday, so we've got our elementary kids. Super excited to have them here um, with us. Hey, um, be- before I get started, I, I just want to say that if-, if you are a guest with us this morning, we are so grateful that you're here. Um, I hope that you have felt welcomed this morning. I hope that you'll join us for Coffee and Connect, as, as Chad just talked about. Um, we'd love to learn your name. We'd love to um, tell you a little bit about who we are, and we're just grateful that you're here. Um, I, I also want to say, before we dive in, if you're here this morning, and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, you, 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 wouldn't, you wouldn't say that all your, your hope is, is in him, or you, you might not even understand what the gospel is, can I just say that, um, man, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. Your, your, uh, your questions are welcome here. Your objections are welcome here. This is a, a safe place for you to explore what a life of faith looks like. So thank you for being with us this morning. For those of you who have been here over the last several weeks uh, or are regulars, then, then you'll know that we've been, we've been kind of preaching through our mission statement here at Frontline Church, which is we're a church who wants to multiply gospel communities that love God, love people, and push back darkness. So uh, a couple of weeks, Chad led us through uh, what it looks like to multiply gospel communities. And we would, we would refer to that as a bit of the what, right? What do we want to do? We want to multiply disciples. We want to see disciples multiply other disciples because that's God's plan to spread the good news across our world. Last week, Jeff led us through what it looks like to love God and to love people, and and we would refer to that as a bit of the why, right? What do we want to do? We want to multiply gospel communities. Why do we want to do it? Uh, Because because God loves us, and in turn, we want to love others. So uh, Jeff led us through Matthew 22, which is kind of the the greatest commandment, right? It's to love God with your uh, heart, mind, and soul, um, and, and then to love your neighbor as yourself, So this morning, we're going to take the last bit of our mission statement, which is to push back darkness, right? And and that we refer to as the how, right? What do we want to do? We want to multiply gospel communities. Why do we want to do it? Because we want to love God and love people. And how uh, is, is to push back darkness, so um, I would love for you to pray with me. I, I want to pray for you as we, as we open up God's word and, uh, and we start our time. Father, um, we invite you to, uh, to speak to us, to speak to us with clarity, to speak to us with conviction. Father, in a, in, a, in a text that may feel familiar to some and it may feel new to others, I pray that we would all experience it afresh 
that we might walk out of here and our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday would be shaped by your word and not just our Sundays. So Father, we welcome your spirit to interrupt us and guide us. Allow me to speak this morning with clarity, Father. Amen. Amen. Well, in the early 1930s, a young woman by the name of Gladys Aylward uh, spent her life savings to travel from North London to, to uh, Yangcheng, China. And she did this because um, she believed that she had uh, experienced a direct call from the Lord to go and share the gospel with the men and women of mainland China. And when she arrived there, she, she arrived there to share the gospel, to, to teach the Bible, and to, to point people to Jesus. But what she began to realize was that the people of this region not only needed someone to tell them what the gospel was, they actually needed someone to show them what the gospel is. Because when she got there, she, she found that there were all of these travelers that were in need of provisions. They were in need of food and shelter, right? And so she began to work in, um, in the inn of eight happinesses. And then as she's working in this inn, she began to realize, man, there, there are a lot of children here without parents, there are a lot of children here fending for themselves. And so her response to that was not only to adopt some children uh, for herself, but also to begin to um, open and mastermind uh, uh, orphanages, some of which are still functioning today. As she was spending time with these children, she began to notice that some of the young girls had, um, had deformed feet had feet that had actually been, um, been tied tightly by fabric from birth, which is this tradition of foot binding um, that, that, that the Chinese government had actually outlawed, but all these little villages around in uh, mainland China uh, didn't care what the government was saying. They were still doing this old tradition because they thought that um, the smaller a woman's feet were, the better. But what actually happened is that their feet would grow deformed and be really painful. And Gladys started to see this. And so she actually worked for and with the Chinese government to enforce the laws that they had put into place to keep it from happening to, to more women. Right, there's this story about, um, about Miss Aylward uh, where she was actually called upon um, by, the, by the leaders of the, the city that she was in to step into a prison and stop the men um, from fighting and, and warring with one another. Like this, this tiny little white woman was, was called to step into a prison and keep these men from fighting. And she, she stepped in and she not only spoke uh, peace over them and, and, and stopped the fighting, then she went on to work with the, the managers of these prisons to help them uh, figure out how do, we, um, how do we serve these prisoners and give them purpose and structure and, and dignity even though they're in prison. It's amazing the things that this woman did. Maybe one of the most amazing things um, that, that, that I, I think about is that I read this other story about how she traveled with uh, nearly 200 children uh, across 240 miles to lead them to safety during World War II. God used Gladys Aylward to change thousands of lives by allowing her to show the gospel. But, but our conversation this morning 
is not about the importance of international missions, although international missions are absolutely important. And it's not about persistence. It's not about like stick-to-itiveness. It's, it's not even about um, uh, highlighting one of our sisters in the faith who's a hero in the faith, although, um, man, listen, we would all do well to study the life of Gladys Aylward. Our conversation this morning is about flooding darkness with the light of the gospel, right? Because my, my fear is, 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 is that uh, as April read the words, you are the light of the world, we, we all might kind of nod our heads and give that kind of Baptist like, hmm, hmm. Or, or maybe, maybe you're a little more advanced than that. Maybe you gave the front line like, man, that's so good. That's so good without actually digesting what's being said here. Or, or maybe as April read that passage, you were really quick to think of the one area of your life that you are pushing back darkness while also being really content to let all the other areas of your life stay hidden in the shadows. So I would love for you to turn with me back to Matthew 5, 14 through 16, and, and hear these words afresh. This is just to, to, to set the table a little bit. This is Jesus teaching his disciples. So he's primarily speaking to the 12. Okay? And, and there would have been onlookers that were coming and, and gathering as he's teaching. But in this moment, he's kind of pulled himself away and he's speaking to the disciples. And he says these words, you are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want us to be real and and, and recognize here for just a moment what Jesus said is confusing. It's confusing because he, he says, you are the light of the world. He doesn't say you are to be the light of the world. He doesn't say you are to carry the light of the world. He says that you are the light of the world. And then he points to this, to this image of this city that's up on a hill. Right In this moment, he's, he's naming something in us, right? something that is true as followers of Jesus. We are the light of the world. But then we get to verse 16 when, when he says, let your light shine, which, which feels confusing to me because I'm like, wait a minute, if I light a candle, it just burns. I, I don't have to do any other tending to make sure that that candle continues to be light. Right? Or if I, if I flip a light switch on, the, the light is just simply on. It doesn't require any maintenance uh, from me to, to keep its brightness. Right? So we have to infer from verse 16 that there is, in fact, a way that we can hide in the shadows. There, there is, in fact, a way that we can cover our brightness. Right? And, and there is, in fact, a way that, that we can um, be a city that's, that's down in a valley as opposed to up on a hill. 
So this morning, we ask ourselves the question, like, how can we allow the light that's within us as followers of Jesus penetrate the darkness? How do we, how do, we do that? Well, um, I, I wanna point not just to the couple of verses in Matthew 5 that we just read. I actually wanna point to a few chapters in Matthew here for a moment because um, I, I think we can get a little bit uh, confused if we read the Bible just in verse, in verse, in verse. Sometimes we have to read the whole thing to get context. And so at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 4, I'm gonna pick it up here, um, kind of halfway through verse 23. We see what Jesus is and has been doing. It says, it says this, that, that he was healing every disease and every affliction among the people so that his fame spread throughout Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those opposed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and what did he do with them? He healed them. He healed them, right? With, with this deed of kindness, he healed them. That's what we find in chapter four. Now, if we look at chapters five, chapter six, and chapter seven of Matthew, we're gonna see Jesus teaching. We're gonna see him um, giving maybe the most famous sermon uh, in scripture, which is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, where he's talking about um, this is what the Christian life looks like. This is, these are the rules to follow. This uh, This is what you look like when you've been made new. And he spends three whole chapters speaking these things and teaching these things. And then we come to chapter eight. And I'm not gonna read all of chapter eight for you, but I am gonna read the headlines. It says, Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus gives faith to a centurion. Jesus heals many, right? Jesus calms a storm. Jesus heals two men with demons. Once again, what's he doing? He's doing these beautiful deeds. So so how do we penetrate the darkness with our light? We do it like Jesus did it. We do it through word and deed. Both of those things. And so I want to spend a little bit of time this morning kind of, kind of breaking those two things up. So, so let's, let's start with word. What does it look like to push back darkness with our words? Well, I want to direct you uh, to another one of the Gospels. This is um, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. We're going to read about John the Baptist for a moment. Right, and we've talked about John the Baptist a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but, but this is a man who God sent here to earth to be his mouthpiece and proclaim the coming of Jesus. Right, so um, here, here are these couple of verses about John the Baptist. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Verse eight He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Did you you catch that? That that God sent a man before Jesus, not as the light, but but to to speak the truth of Jesus before he arrived, to to speak about this light that was coming. See, see God values spoken truth. And we, we actually see that all throughout scripture, right? He, he, goes to, he goes to Jonah and he says, hey, Jonah, I would like you to go to Nineveh and I would like you to tell them 
that they need to repent of their sin. And, and Jonah chooses not to, and so then he ends up in the belly of the fish, and then he comes out, and eventually he uh, kind of begrudgingly follows God's instruction and tells them that they're headed in the wrong direction. But, it, but it's, it's that God values spoken word, right? He, he goes to Moses in Exodus, and he says, hey, Moses, I would like you uh, to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and challenge him to a duel. I want you to go to Pharaoh and fight him. I want you to go to Pharaoh and see if you can overtake him. He said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to use your words and tell him to let my people go. Even if we look at the New Testament, Jesus is sending his disciples out two by two into the cities that they're in to do what? To declare the kingdom of God, right? To speak the kingdom of God. See, when we use our words to speak gospel truth, it's actually a light in the darkness. But we don't always do that, do we? Right, we're, we're willing to buy somebody a meal, but if it requires sitting down with them and having a, a, a hard conversation, that might be a little more costly. Right, we're, we're more than happy to, to, to sit and listen to our friends complain about the situation they find themselves in, but we, we cower and we shy away from pointing out the areas in which our friend might actually be responsible for the consequences of the situation that they're in. Right, we're really glad to talk with our neighbors about lawn care. We're really glad to talk with our neighbors about power outages. Right? We're really glad to talk with our neighbors about schooling options. And yet we get really squeamy when it comes to inviting our neighbors to church. Right? It's so easy to find excuses not to speak truth. Well, I don't want people to feel cornered. Right? I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to offend anyone. I really don't want to mess up this friendship. Something that as I was preparing, I felt particularly convicted by is that I often think, oh, they, they probably already have a church. They, they, they probably already have a belief system. They, they've probably heard the gospel before. Right? The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that God uses our words to change people in ways that we could never imagine. And listen, when we choose to be silent, we're putting that light under a basket. Right? We're, 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 we're being that city that's in a valley as opposed to on a hill. But it's not just our words that can offer light, right? It's, it's also our deeds. It's the combination of the two. Look back at uh, verse 16 of this morning's passage. It says this. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven, I'm struck by this verse because it not only orders us or asks us to, to do good works, but it actually asks us to do good works in front of others, right? Which, which feels contrary. It feels strange to think about that, but it's, it's because our, our good deeds um, are, are, not, are not so that we might be glorified. They're so that he might be glorified, 
right? Because our good deeds actually point back to God, the author of all that is good. And, and we actually see throughout scripture over and over and over again, God calling his people into action, right? As soon as Noah gets off of, of the ark with his, with his sons, he says, hey, be fruitful and multiply the earth, right? We, we see this moment in, um, in 1 Samuel where David is given the opportunity uh, to kill Saul, this man who's, who's tried to kill him over and over again, and God says, hey, hey, don't kill him. And, and so he chooses not to twice, even though Saul certainly deserved to die. And, and then uh, to, to use Jeff's example from last week, we, we have this man, Hosea, who, who God calls specifically to marry Gomer, this woman who is going to be unfaithful to him, who's not going to return his love. And he says, hey, Hosea, I want you to marry this woman. And I want you to love her unconditionally, even though you know she will be unfaithful to you. Why? Because our, our deeds are a reflection of God. That they glorify him, that they magnify him. And, and I, I feel um, it feels important in this moment just to name, uh, just for clarity's sake, uh, I am not saying that our good deeds have any bearing on our salvation, right? Our, our salvation has nothing to do with our good deeds, right? Our, our good deeds are a means in which we can glorify him, but they're not a means in which we could earn salvation. I, I just want to make that really clear, right? That salvation is a free gift. That grace is a free gift. But our, our works do point to him in a way that shines brightness in the darkness. But just like uh, when we're asked to speak, we often are quiet there, there are lots of moments that, that when uh, we feel the Spirit leading us to move, that we cower and we choose not to act, right? It's, it's really easy to be on social media and see a problem or see a, uh, something that's wrong and just type praying, dot, 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 send, and then walk away with no intention to pray, with no intention to move toward that darkness at all, right? It's, it's really easy to use our calendar or to use our current season to... to, to to give it an excuse as to why we can't do a good deed, right? And, it's, and it's, it's, it's all too common for us to put our heads down and not notice that the Spirit is, is actually nudging us, asking us to move. But we don't even notice because we're distracted or lazy. I was thinking about this in my own life, and I was thinking that, um, man, as a dad, there are... Uh, there are very few moments that I feel more proud of my son than when I see him serve his little sisters. When I see him um, uh, kindly uh, do something thoughtful for his little sisters, like that just makes my heart swell. And listen, that's the same thing with our heavenly father. Right? He's glorified when we do good things. He's magnified when we do good things. And when we don't, when we choose not to act, when we notice something and we choose to sit on our hands, it's an example of putting a basket over the light 
right? Again, of, of being a city in a valley as opposed to on a hill. So I can, I can almost feel it in the room. I, I can feel you thinking, okay, I get it. We, we, we can push back darkness with word and deed, but like, so what? So what? Like, I, you've explained how these things work, um, but the two examples you've given us are a woman who moved halfway across the world and Jesus, who's the son of God, and guess what? I'm not either of those people, right? I'm just trying to get through day after day. I'm trying to get through one day without losing my temper. I'm trying to get through one day without feeling the, the grips of anxiety around my finances. I'm, I'm trying to get through one more day without indulging in my addictions. What do I do? What do I do when, when, when I feel like I'm the darkness? What, what, what do I do when I can't see the light? What, what, what if all of this just sounds like some theoretical exercise because I can't do any of this. Friends, if, if that's you this morning, and I, and I think if we're honest, to some degree or another, that's all of us this morning. I, I wanna leave you with four reminders that I, that I hope are encouraging and, and anchors in your soul. The first is this. We are free to do good because Jesus has already done it. We are free to do good because Jesus has already done it. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Church, we are, we are not light because of ourselves. We're light because he's light and he lives within us, right? And, and he didn't fail, right? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then you have the full weight of victory on your side. And, and Jesus is not cowering. He's not anxious. He's not fearful about what could happen or what, what might happen the victory is secure, which means that darkness will never overpower the light. And you are free to do good because Jesus has already done it. Secondly, we are not on a solo mission. We are not on a solo mission. Christ gave us his church, this, this body in which we get to function together with unique giftings and, and unique roles, which means that you are not responsible for pushing back all the darkness around you on your own, right? In, in fact, and, and, and I hope this frees you up, God is not um, reliant on you or, or doesn't require you to advance his kingdom. He's, he's gonna do that anyway. We just get invited to join him in it. You and all of your brothers and sisters. So, so if, you're, if you're at work and you notice a, a particular need with one of your coworkers, or you're a, a student and you see um, one of your classmates has this problem, then, um, then talk to your parents about it. 
text a friend and ask, hey, I don't, I don't know what to do about this, but I've got somebody in my life who's suffering. How can we help? Right? T- text a community group leader. Call one of your deacons or your elders. Like, one of my favorite jobs in this role is that when somebody, um, when somebody makes a pushback darkness request, and I get to say yes and give them money to go push back darkness where they're at. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, maybe you don't, but we, we actually have a fund that's specifically set aside for, uh, for you to utilize money to push back darkness around you. And if you've got questions about that, I'd love to talk with you about how you can access that money and how you can use it to serve the people in your neighborhood, in your workplace, any of those. You are not alone. You're not on a solo mission here. My third reminder this morning is is that mission doesn't have to be complicated. I think think too often we find ourselves in some kind of a a state of paralysis at the thought of living on mission, right? Like we're we're paralyzed going, well, uh, I I can't live on mission unless I I start a nonprofit or unless I uh, move across the world or unless I'm a pastor of some sort. And I just want to remind you that like Gladys Aylward, um, man, it's not because she was in China that she got to live on mission. She got there and then she started to see the needs around her just like you can look around and see the needs around where you are right now, right? Sometimes what it looks like is just taking an extra five minutes to sit with a coworker and, and, and listen to their problems, right? Sometimes it looks like engaging with the other parents at your kid's basketball practice instead of watching videos on your phone. Sometimes it means inviting your non-Christian friends to church on Sunday, it's like one of the most um, evangelistic things that you can do. We work, we work hard to present the gospel with clarity and, consistent, and consistency every Sunday morning here. And somewhere along the way, we've decided that it's lame to invite our friends to church. And I, I don't know where that came from, right? Like it's, it's cool to have them over for dinner and to come sit on my porch, but like, I don't know about coming to church, right? I remember when I was a kid, um, my church had bring, bring a friend to church month right, which I think now I look back on, it feels a little clunky, feels a little crusty maybe. Um, but man, uh, I think they're putting their finger on something that was really valuable, right? That inviting your non-Christian friends to church is evangelism. Mission doesn't have to be complicated. My last reminder for you this morning is that we are free to fail we are free to fail. I, I find myself um, sitting with a lot of high school students, sitting with a lot of uh, community group leaders, sitting with a lot of people in our church, and even when I take the time to interrogate my own soul, and, and, um, and, and it's, it's inevitable that often what comes to the surface is a fear of failure, right? What if I choose the wrong college? What if my community group implodes? Right? What if something goes wrong? What if, what if, what if? And I just wanna, I wanna point us back to Matthew chapter five, but not the section we read today, just a few verses earlier. Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. 
rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, what this means is that even when it feels like your efforts went wrong, they very well may have gone right. Right, that, that our definition of failure is different than God's definition of failure. And that should be, uh, man, that should be a comfort to us all. Because when he looks upon us, he sees the success of Jesus. As I've um, <clears throat> spent this week reflecting on the life of, uh, of, of Miss Aylward, a few things have kind of stuck out to me. The first of which being that um, she tried to go to missionary school and she failed out. Like she got there and she was feeling this calling and she tried to do it. And um, the teachers there said, hey, I don't, I don't think you have what it takes to do this. And she failed out. That she didn't go to China um, with, with any kind of um, uh, really formulated plan or strategy uh, for what she was gonna do when she got there. She just knew that the Lord was leading her there. She didn't even speak Mandarin when she got there. And then there's this, there's this picture, um, like as if all of those other things weren't enough, like, like just the picture of who she was physically is like the picture of small. <laughs> like she was less than five feet tall. Uh, I love this quote, um, Elizabeth Elliot, who is this author and missionary, kind of a contemporary of Gladys Aylward, um, dis once described her as being a very small package of cockney dynamite, which I just think is a wonderful sentence, right? There are all these reasons why, um, why what, 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 what Gladys Aylward um, set out to do shouldn't have happened, and yet God used her in extraordinary and miraculous ways to touch thousands of lives with the truth of the gospel. So if you walk away from this sermon with anything in your mind, with one sentence in your mind, I really hope it's not, well, if God used Gladys, then I guess she can use me. That, that's not the heart here. The heart here is, is, is listen, God will win. That, that his light will prevail over darkness. I just want Frontline Church to be a part of it. Would you pray with me?